0: Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot
1: of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. I am super excited for today's guest because I have had a literacy crush on him for a very long time, (laughs) and I can't wait to talk more with him today, Melissa. Well, I know you know him a little bit, so. (laughs) But, well. My, my like
1: thing right now is fluency in Baltimore City. That's all I talk about. People are like, yes, Melissa, we get it, fluency. <laughs> um, so for me, talking to Tim Rosinski is huge because uh, I think when people think of fluency, they think of Tim Rosinski. So I'm I really agree. excited.
0: <laughs> I agree. And Tim doesn't know, it, but he changed, um, he changed the course of my career when I read his Why Fluency is Hot article a long time ago. So um, we are super excited. Tim, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, uh, Laurie and Melissa. I'm glad to be here. I was wondering why my ears have been burning the last month. Kansas, uh, <laughs> uh, all that buoyancy work you've done in, in the Baltimore schools, it's really good <laughs> stuff. I did a chance to take a look at it. Uh, and uh, it's really neat to see creative teachers doing things that are not only engaging for kids, uh, but really make a difference in kids' lives. So, yeah, well done. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, for, uh... Yeah. Well, and I know that, so I'm just going to do a quick rundown, Melissa, because I know that not, you know, if you don't know everything about Tim, he's the professor of literacy education at Kent State University. Um, Tim, are you still the director of the reading clinic there?
2: Um, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, (laughs) We run the reading clinic in the summertime. And of course, last summer with the pandemic, uh, things kind of got discombobulated. So, I, I think if any, if anything, I'm still the honorary uh, director. Got it. Okay. That's good.
0: So, yeah. And I, I know you're going to talk a, a bit about some of the things that you've done, um, but, you know, you've got lots of books and um, okay. other things that you put out. And I don't want to give too much away because we're going to talk about the specific things that um, will help with sure. fluency and and lots of other topics we're going to talk about. So that's
2: great.
0: Cool. Yeah, Before we jump in, Tim, I'm wondering, like,
1: how did fluency become your thing? How did you get to this point of being the fluency superhero? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: first of all, I'm not the superhero, (laughs) Um, but it's it's an old story, actually, uh, for me. Uh, It's actually when I was a um, reading interventionist uh, outside of Omaha, Nebraska, over 40 years ago, and uh, I'd been a classroom teacher and then was working on my master's degree, and so I thought, well, okay... Uh, work with struggling readers become an interventionist. So I'm working with these kids um, who are having difficulty in reading, and I'm doing everything the book says. You know, I'm working on phonics, uh, working on vocabulary, comprehension. Uh, and many of the kids were making good progress, but still there were some who were just, you know, no matter what I did, work with, they were flatlining, you might say, were not making much progress despite my best efforts. And fortunately for me, I was working on my master's degree at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. And I still remember the profs had us reading some of these articles that were beginning to appear on reading fluency. One was called Fluency, the Neglected Goal of the Reading Program, Dick Mm Allington. Another one (laughs) was called The Method of Repeated Readings by Dr. Jay Samuels. And, of course, this great one by um, uh, Carol Chomsky. uh, After Decoding What? after you're working with kids and you teach them decoding Mm. and they're still not making any progress in one. And of course, her answer was was reading fluency. So I I read these and I thought to myself, yeah, there's something to this. Um, And so I tried some of these methods that Dr. Samuels, Dick Allington were talking about. And lo and behold, some of these kids began to take off. And In some cases, it was breathtaking, the progress they were making. And it wasn't just their reading. It was their confidence. They started to say, yeah, I can do this. I just have to do you know, maybe read a text more than once. Uh, and maybe read it with another person who's uh, perhaps a slightly better or more fluent reader than I am. But it was really quite, quite amazing and it was a real eye-opener. So I got on that horse 40 odd years ago and I'm still on it. So it hasn't been <laughs> yet. So I do do think it is something that is a can be a game changer for many kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully the uh, the work that Baltimore is doing will be able to show yeah. that. In the future, you know the near future, cool. <laughs> so I'm curious about um I mentioned it earlier, the uh, why fluency should be hot, that article changed my life, and I remember reading it in a teacher professional development, and then just um. Over and over and over again, and mm-hmm. and really trying to get my hands on everything else that you had written for about fluency. Um, so I'm wondering i wondering if
2: little, can I give you a little background to that article. Yes,
0: I want so I wanted you to tell me all about it and uh, everything <laughs> <No>. that <laughs> we would need to know about why it should be hot
2: for years. For years, the uh, International Literacy Association, I guess back then it was the International Reading Association, would do this um, survey. They would ask 50, 60 experts, "What are the hot topics in reading?" And for every, every single year, when they asked about reading fluency, the consensus answer was, it's not hot. It's not a hot topic. <laughs> and not only is it not hot, it shouldn't be hot. And of course, well, being a person who's kind invested in fluency, that kind of pissed me off. So, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll edit okay. that one out. But, um, but I said, well, let's write an article why it should be hot. And yeah. so that's, that was the genesis for that article is in response to um, so many experts were saying it's not hot. And and I think there's a reason for for that why the reason they were saying that, but still I thought I needed to have to try to respond to that in some way. So I'm so I'm glad I'm at least uh, influenced one person more. Just
0: just one. I mean no, I mean lots of them. <laughs> um but I that's so interesting because it is one of the five pillars. Yeah. And you would think it I mean at some point it should be hot, right?
2: Yeah. Well a I hot think topic. <laughs> yeah. I think part of it has been just the way it's been thought of. Uh, first of all, it has that two dimensions to it. It's automaticity and word recognition, but it's also prosody or express, expressiveness. And so one of the things is that, um, you focus on one at the expense of the other. I think that's happened. In fact, what's often happened with the automaticity component is that has somehow morphed into making kids read fast. We measure automaticity by speed of reading, um, and so, okay, well, we'll improve reading by getting kids to read faster, and of course, that doesn't work at all. Very, uh, meanwhile, we end up with <laughs> fast readers, but not very good readers. And <laughs> yeah. we often associate it with oral reading. You know, um, we, we, you know, to to read fluently, you have to read orally. But you know, the way we read orally also reflects how we read silently. So there's a connection there, but again, the thought was, well, we're not too concerned about oral reading come fourth or fifth grade. So let's just put that off to the side. And then another part was just that the idea that it was just for younger kids, um, you know, primary grade kids. And it certainly is, absolutely. Uh, Jean Chaw puts it, I think, in around grades, uh, grade two and three in her model of reading. But you know, kids are not fluent at the end of grade three. They the, the fluency just doesn't go away. It, right. it actually it actually becomes an albatross for many kids, and and so it's it's something that even go well goes well beyond uh, beyond the primary grades. So I think yeah. for those reasons, you know, the, the, it kind of got pushed off to the side, and of course, all this emphasis on phonics, you know, sort of kind of uh, drowned out all the conversation about everything else, and 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 i think that's a bit unfortunate because fluency is well a, a bridge if you will a link between uh word recognition and and comprehension at the other side and most kids develop that bridge on their own but if they don't then we've got to help them we got to do something to help those kids develop that fluency yeah yeah
1: yeah, I was telling you all <laughs> before but that uh, when I was a younger teacher, I and I, I always taught middle school and high school, so this was middle school, um, yeah. but I was in a reading specialist program, and so I wanted to try things out, and I, I was all in on fluency, and I did the timed reading, and then Perfect. all of a sudden I had 20 eighth graders who were just speed reading, and oh, I was yeah. just like, this is a mess. <laughs> this is not what I wanted to happen, I and I, I did that what you just said, which was like, well, then forget it because this is just a
2: mess right right uh, you know I, and I have no qualm against teachers who work on this they're well-meaning they, they mm-hmm. want it. but it's it's our job you know as people who work in professional development to help teachers understand what it what this is I I do want kids to become fast readers there's no question about it but I want them to become fast the way all of us have you know who are part of this podcast got to be fast readers what do we do yeah. we read a lot nobody told me to read fast <laughs> we just develop that odd, autom- automatic word recognition, and you know, speeches is, is is a consequence of that. It's not a cause, so yeah. it's, it's we, we, you know, we we want really want to avoid that. But uh, yeah, I I can relate to that myself, uh, uh, Melissa. I, I've seen many many good teachers do that, and no fault uh, of their yeah. own.
0: Good intentions. Yeah. yeah good intentions, exactly, exactly. I, f- I feel like we should have a fluency confessional based on what we what we've shared with oh, you yeah. previously. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it's a lot. I I did it too, and um, I remember being delivered timers to my classroom, like because everybody got timers work on yeah. fluency. And then um, I was I know I shared this with you all before, but it, it makes me laugh, so I'll say it again. But the, when I taught second grade, like in some, I don't know, the teacher found this as a resource and shared it with everyone. And everyone's like, wow, this is such a great way to teach fluency. And you're like literally reading um, a number line or an alphabet strip that is interspersed with different um, punctuation, Mm -hmm. marks of punctuation. So it'd be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you know, basically not challenging at all, which um, kind of flips fluency on its head and you know, the way that that's why I think your article was so impactful because I stopped doing that after I read it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm curious if you might want to uplift, Tim, what kinds of texts should or can teachers use that are effective in teaching fluency?
2: If, if I may, I, w- I will say this uh, in response to our earlier conversation. In our reading clinic, we do test kids and we do do the one minute read, you know, the devil's aims web mm-hmm. and so on. It's a good measure. It really is. But the thing is, you know, it's not a way it's not a method of instruction. So when we when we give kids a passage to read, uh, we say, I want your best reading, not your fastest, your very best reading. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that is enough for cue for many kids.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you read different texts different ways. Oh, yeah,
2: of course. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you just want to, you know. Uh, mull over a text, perhaps an interesting word that you come across or an interesting idea that uh, is posed to. But as far as texts go, uh, pretty much any text can lend itself to fluency. But in particular, I've kind of focused on kinds of some kinds of texts we don't use too much in school anymore. You know, if you think about fluency, uh, often associated with oral reading, are there texts that are meant to be read orally? And of course, yeah, of course, poetry, poetry, uh, scripts as in readers, theater scripts, uh, speeches from American history or, uh, from history itself. Um, it could be monologues, dialogues, jokes, perhaps, uh, songs. Oh, we do a lot of work with songs with our kids, but these, these are texts that are meant to be read out loud and they're meant to be read with expression. So when kids rehearse them, you know, that that's what they should be focusing on. Not just trying to read it fast, but you know, to raise my voice, lower my voice, have a dramatic pause here, because in doing so, what you're actually doing is you're reflecting the meaning of the text. If you have a listener listening to you read, uh, they're more able to understand what it is you're reading by the by the, your expressiveness, your oral expressiveness. So it's a, there's a there's your connection and comprehension right there. To okay. read something with with fluency with expression, you have to really have some degree of understanding of the text that you are reading. And and the other thing about uh, about these kinds of texts and especially poetry uh, is they're not terribly long texts, you know, and if you're working with younger kids and if you're working with kids who struggle, sometimes they can be overwhelmed by a text that, you know, is 10, 20, 30 pages long. Oh, I can't handle this, but you know, they can handle a, a You know, a 10 line poem perhaps, or even something a little bit longer. And not only that, you know, the rhythm, the rhyme, the melody, uh, all those things make it a, a, a poem, or for that matter, a song, uh, easy, to, easy to learn. You know, how many of us as adults remember uh, poems that we learned as kids, mm-hmm. you know, in school? They just, yeah. there's something about the, the the nature of these texts that make them very memorable. Uh, I often tell the story about um, my, my wife and I, up until the pandemic had gone to uh, work to, not work, but we would volunteer at a local Alzheimer's memory unit. And um, we would... Go there once a week and you know just around sit around and chat with these folks and uh, uh, it was kind of interesting because these folks would not remember us from one week to the next as you might expect. Oh, yeah. Well, what would happen is before we would leave we, we would have a little sing along get everybody together and we do a little sing along all those old fashioned songs you know and what 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 I find so amazing is as I said these folks don't remember us but they would remember the songs even if we brought in a new one. You know, don't sit yeah. under the apple tree with anyone else but me. And
1: <laughs> yeah. you know,
2: if you think about that, you know, what's a sight word in reading? A sight word is nothing more than a memorized word. Well, I say, put those words to rhythm, to rhyme, to melody. You're going to remember forever, even, even, even. You know, dementia is going to have a hard time erasing them from your memory. But sometimes it's it's interesting how we come to those insights.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, I I. It, so my daughter could not remember uh, my phone number for of, for the life of us. I mean, we were <laughs> really right. having a hard time. And once it, I put it to, I think I, um, I don't even know. I'm not going to sing my phone number so everybody can call okay. me. But I put it to like a little nursery rhyme song. And um, <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's now, I mean now even, you know, if she, if someone asks my phone number, I hear I can see her pause and I know she's singing it for just a second (laughs) until she, but it's true music, you know, putting stuff to music is really powerful, but even what you said about those, you know, the, the short clips and, and helping Mm -hmm. to, um, and reinforce that fluency, I'm thinking about, and Melissa, I know you have a great aid example that you want to share too, um, from and Wisdom just because it came up, but, um, the, I'm thinking about in grade five that us uh, in and Wisdom students engage in a whole uh, wordplay um, module and they, they read and watch um, Abbott and Costello who's on first. Oh yeah. And as they are working with it after, you know, engaging with it, they are so engaged in it. So funny. And I mean, often, um, you know, you go back later in the year and they still can talk about it and and remember it. And um, just, I mean, think about how that's something as small as that is helping to build their fluency in right. that moment because they, and they do understand the, the purpose of it too, right? They're they're right. doing it and they understand that it's supposed to be funny and and how they should say it and act it. Yeah. And
2: but isn't it interesting? Them. It's those memorable moments uh, like those are the ones that we remember uh, mm-hmm. from our school when we have that chance to be Performers uh, have a chance to be creative uh, with yep. our voices, and I think we need to try to get more of those into our into our our school, into our classrooms. Mm-hmm. One of the things I mentioned also about text is, is the difficulty level. You know, I, we've have been having this argument about what's the appropriate level for reading, and there's, there's I think there's a growing uh, growing body of evidence that supports having kids read more challenging material. Uh, you know, and, uh, Stephen, Steve Stahl did a study back back in the 20 or so years ago, 15 years ago, in Georgia with second graders with repeated readings. Now, many of the, the listeners know that repeated readings, having a kid read a text more than once, is a great fluency builder. But what Steve found was when the, ki- the kids made the greatest progress, when the material they were asked to read repeatedly was above, was at their frustration level, was at at a level that we probably would not normally recommend for them. Mm -hmm. And yet here they are practicing it. And I think it was the idea of practice and support that allowed them to handle a more challenging piece. And in doing so, you know, they were able to accelerate their progress in reading. So really, this whole notion of fluency is beginning to challenge our notion of what's the appropriate text for for kids. uh, There, In our reading clinic, we give kids, I like to say, interest trumps difficulty. We give us easy stuff sometimes. We give them, you know, stuff right at their level, but we also challenge them, too, Mm -hmm. uh, if they're more interested in that kind of material. Can you imagine a a fifth grader reading the the cremation of Sam McGee? Uh, There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The Northern Lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was the night on the marge of Lake LaBarge. I cremated Sam McGee. (laughs) And it goes on and on and on. But I mean, talk about a fifth grader. uh, Cremation is a great topic. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's really neat to see kids, you know, just not only the, the joy and the confidence that comes when they when they say I can learn something, I can I can read something as well as anybody. And that's yeah. really why we want kids to be at that level, where they can be successful and know it.
1: I was telling you all about the example from Wit and Wisdom that I I always find is like such a great example especially for older students in the eighth grade first module they they read a book that's a book of poetry but then they also write their own poetry and they have to perform it Mm -hmm. and so throughout the whole module for a quarter they're like writing their own poems reading their own poems to each other over and over and practicing with the poems that are in the novel and it's just like there's such a purpose to it but they get to be creative and
2: right uh, right
1: really powerful to see it doesn't feel like you know we're they're doing fluencies as something separate exactly. it feels like it's
2: part exactly. of it and it's so neat at the end of the week when you know the teacher can dim the lights of the classroom and pull down the shades you know the the, the class is a poetry slam or a yep. reader theater <laughs> festival they all yeah performing what they had been so they actually have a purpose now to do engage in that repeated reading yeah, or their right. rehearsal it's the performance on friday i've uh, been
0: doing that during covid with my daughter and um She's been, she's been doing fluency work with, with grade level text. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can see it behind me. See that big podcast microphone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I let her read into that or use this headset. And I mean, you would think that I gave her a million bucks. I mean, she's so pumped <laughs> too. Sure. I mean, but it's true. Like kids just love the simple things and it's the little stuff that can get them motivated. And like you said, like that Friday, you know, fluency Friday, that's an amazing way to. Right to build fluency practice in
2: make, making it authentic uh, making it like something you know we as adults do i, I one of my favorite quotes is from uh, john dewey who said um, something to the fact that we should make our classrooms i think he used the word embryonic uh, classroom communities in other words they should reflect what happens in real life Yeah. you know and you know, if you're uh, a, a tv or radio broadcaster you'd be using a, a microphone like the one you have behind you Lori, so why not bring that kind of stuff in? Uh, Mm -hmm. Just make it real for kids. Yeah, it's when we make things artificial that they don't see the purpose in it. Yeah, and um, you know are are just not not terribly engaged. And of course, that's true for teachers too. When we ask teachers to do those kinds of things as well, you know, things that are highly scripted instruction, kind of getting off. off, I'm getting on my (laughs) (laughs) soapbox.
1: That's okay. Um, I do have a question for you about, you know, I work with secondary schools. So yes. I'm wondering, you know, when, when we look at our standards, fluency is not there. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think, you know, there's a general assumption like that's not that's not a problem for us, right? We yeah. don't have to worry about
0: that. Yeah, I, You know, I don't believe that,
1: <laughs> but I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit
0: sure. To no,
2: for sure. Uh, fluency
0: for older students. Well, you Pump know, up Melissa's tires right now is what she needs.
2: <laughs> well, you know, in an ideal world, uh, fluency shouldn't be a problem. Uh, but uh, for secondary, you know, we, kids should develop their fluency, you know, by the end of fifth grade or so in my, in my ideal world, but it, we don't live in an ideal world. Right. We have a lot of kids, especially those kids we worry the most about. Fluency is the issue. We did a study a few years ago in one of our urban schools in our neck of the woods, Canton, Ohio. And uh, we are working with ninth graders and we just had them read a passage. Uh, it was about the Wright brothers, if I'm not mistaken. But what we did was we did the um, the one minute read or we took their first minute of reading and we found that over half these students were well below what would have been eighth grade norms. We didn't even have ninth grade norms to look at. So we had looked at eighth grade norms and over half of them were significantly below that.
1: Yeah, That's what we're finding,
2: too. Yeah. And and so and and what do we do about it? You know, aside from. You know, you, Melissa, you know, we have great secondary teachers, but most of them don't have that training or that knowledge in reading fluency. So what do they do? Well, let's work on comprehension. Let's build vocabulary, which is great. But if you never work on fluency, how do you ever expect kids to, you know, to develop in that area? We did another study a couple of years ago. I did this. um, We with college students and um, we, same thing. We we got we had college. Uh, I think these were college sophomores, uh, and we had them read a passage. It was a twelfth grade passage, and then we correlated it with the students' ACT scores. So their are college. So first of all, you got these are probably pretty good readers to begin with. But what we found was that you could actually predict ACT performance by one minute of reading. Wow. One minute of reading. Those kids who were more automatic, you know, reflected in a speedier read. They were really t- t- tended to have higher uh, per- scores on the ACT uh, reading section, which, of course, that's a silent reading comprehension score. Oral reading fluency predicts silent reading comprehension, even into college. Uh, wow. So you know, it's, it's something <laughs> that we can't neglect. And so, whenever I get a chance like like this to you know be interviewed by great uh, professionals like you guys, I, I I jump on it. So thank you.
1: Yeah. The one thing I always talk about is that like amount of energy that students need. Right. So that like, if they're still putting energy into the figuring out what each word is, they don't have the energy to make any meaning of what they're reading.
2: Right. Right. That, that, that I use that often myself, I think it was Jay Samuels actually talked about. He says that, we have a finite amount of, he called it attention, I believe, but I would mm. call it, uh, cognitive resources or yeah. whatever. And if we have to use too much of those resources for word decoding, figuring out what the words mean, we don't have that left over that we've lost that and it can no longer be applied to comprehension. And, you know, we see these kids all the time when they read, they're slow, full of effort, letter mm. by letter, sound by sound. So I say, God bless these kids for working so hard, but they, they're putting yeah. all their effort in the wrong area. Um, we want to be automatic like us. I mean, something I, I tell my I teach a course here uh, in phonics. And one of the first things I tell my students is the goal of phonics instruction is to get kids not to use phonics. If you have to use phonics when you're reading, you're in big trouble because you're stopping every third and fourth word, sounding it out. And yeah, you can do it, but there's a price to be paid. And of course, we know what it is. It's comprehension. You don't understand something when you're just kind of word by word through a text there. One of the one you you remind you kind of jogged my memory here. One of the things I one of the analogies I often use is learning how to drive a car. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we first learn to drive a car, you know, all our attention had to be devoted to the steering wheel and the gas pedal and the gear shift. And if the radio was turned on, you had to turn it off because that was distracting (laughs) you with a little bit of practice. Not only did we become automatic or uh, accurate in our driving, we could put it in the mailbox (laughs) and running over the curb. We also became automatic in our driving. Mm -hmm. And the evidence of that is, have you ever driven someplace and not know how you got there? Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, your mind was wandering. It was another place. So, so now we can read when, when we drive a car, we can multitask. We can drive safely and accurately and still listen to the radio. Some States, you know, I don't know if it's true in Maryland, but you can talk on the phone. You can converse with the passenger. You can multitask. And in reading, it's the same thing we want. Reading is a multitask activity. You have to figure Mm -hmm. out the words, but if you can do that automatically, you can do that other task, which is pay attention to meaning, create meaning. Yeah. I like that. I
0: like that analogy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And how did we get that way? You, You drive a lot, right? You practice it a lot. And, um, you know, you might drive your parents' car for a while. And interestingly enough, once you get automatic on that car, it transfers, that knowledge transfers to other car, automobiles. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing in reading. Once you get automatic on one passage, uh, there's, a, there's a degree of transfer uh, to other passages as well.
0: Yeah, so. it's, it's like you're, but you, I think you made a good point. Um, I can't, I don't know if it was on this call or the pre-call cause I feel like I've talked to you a couple of times this week. In <laughs> Once you construct these skills, you then don't have to you're never deconstructing them. So yeah. right, like the the part the you don't want to use phonics it's anymore to, to break yeah. it down. I don't want to be like what you know trying to figure out what I'm doing as I'm driving, like click up to use the wipers right. and and I'm not trying to I'm trying to use it fluidly rather than deconstructing. Exactly. Yeah,
2: and that's a good word, fluidly, fluently. Yeah. Um, uh, there it's just done without really conscious thought or minimal conscious thought about doing it. So you can pick, keep your eye on the road.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. Like, I feel like fluency, putting aside, you know, I guess other conversations that we could have just for the for for the moment um, around phonics and decoding um, and that cognitive load, fluency does seem like the lowest hanging fruit in in, in like the the five reading pillars. Like, yet I do believe because of what I've seen in classrooms that it is usually the first thing to get pushed aside. Like, mm-hmm. well, we don't have time for this, or, you know, they'll do that for homework versus, um, you know, prioritizing like, um, you know, when I'm giving an example, right? When students come into the class versus doing a journal entry that doesn't um, relate to anything, like, you know, how was your weekend or whatever, mm-hmm. instead of using the the fluent instead of using that time to build fluency, right? So and again, if a teacher is listening and they're they're asking their students what they did over the weekend, I'm not criticizing, I'm just giving a specific example. Um so why is it, in your opinion, do you think that fluency is the first thing to kind of get pushed to the side instead of elevated to the top as like, hey, this is like a low-hanging fruit that we can definitely get really good at very right, quickly?
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of it has been this misunderstanding about what constitutes fluency. You know, the reading fast teachers get to the point where they begin to rebel against that and say, uh, okay, this making kids read fast isn't working. So they just give it up, you know, and say, let's move on, do something else Or So some degree of that. Um, and, And it does require perhaps a different way of thinking about reading instruction You're not necessarily getting kids into, um, you know, doing worksheets on phonics. You're not engaging them all the time on comprehension, uh, you know, how well they understand things. You know, some of the key elements is practice. The kids have to read things um, and, uh, you know, practice reading those uh, particular texts. And, you know, that's not anything that you would find in a normal classroom, at least in a traditional classroom. Um, so it really requires us to think about, you know, how can we actually uh, create a uh, protocol, if you will, in our classrooms? One of the ones I, I love is this idea about having a weekly. Well, we kind of alluded to it earlier, uh, a weekly performance, say on Fluency Friday. But what happens is early in the week, the children, the students are assigned something that they are going to be practicing or rehearsing throughout the week. Um uh, uh, so, you know, one way of doing this might be, of, one example might be, imagine, um, in, let's try a middle grade classroom. Um, so let's, we're going to study, we're going to stay great American poets all year long. So say one week, uh, we're going to look at the poetry of Emily Dickinson. So every student is assigned a poem by Emily Dickinson. One of the nice things about that is, all of her stuff is public domain, you know, you mm-hmm. talk about low hanging fruit. But then, you know, the way we often talk about this is, well, on Monday, the teacher reads all the material to kids, you know, reads it out loud. The kids follow along in their own comp- copies. Uh, Tuesday, we read it all quarterly. On Wednesday, the kids get in a small group and they practice and the teacher goes around, coaches, giving them feedback. Thursday, we do a rehearsal. Uh, Quick rehearsal. And then on Friday, we invite the school principal into our classroom. Uh, Parents, maybe some visitors, they come into class. And as I said, we dim the lights, we pull down the shades, light some candles and the kids perform uh, there. Um, And then the next week, well, let's look at the poetry by uh, Robert Frost or perhaps uh, Amanda Gorman. You know, every week could be a different poet. And not only, you know, you're exploring exploring the poet and their poetry, but you're also developing fluency. So it really is, it's more than just fluency itself. And it's done in a very authentic sort of way. All of that takes only about 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes. Much of the rehearsal can be done at home as well. But if we could find a way of actually creating a protocol like that on a weekly basis, and it doesn't have to be poetry. Maybe one week we'll do reader's theater scripts. Uh, maybe we'll do songs and, or we can combine them. Maybe, you know, uh, around a couple of, uh, last week, we were uh, commemorating Memorial day. The Friday performance could have been, uh, you know, some patriotic poetry, but it could also have been uh, as a group singing some patriotic songs, God bless America perhaps, or some of those other great patriotic songs that we have. So to me, it's finding that, that, that authentic protocol that we can, put in uh, into play and, um, you know, don't just save it for week, you know? right to read yeah. week. You know, this has got to be part and parcel of our regular reading instruction. Yeah. And, and the research shows that. I've been working with a colleague of mine, Chase Young and David Page. Um, and uh, Chase in particular has been working on developing that routine. And we find that not only do kids re- improve in terms of their fluency, as you'd expect, but comprehension improves as well significantly, uh especially when you compare kids in, in um classrooms where this kind of instruction is not going on. So mm-hmm. the reason you know we talk about the science of reading and the science of reading does support this, this approach.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, to yeah we had a teacher who was working with a small group of students and she was using the same text that they were seeing in their ela classroom which was in wisdom um, okay. and this is totally qualitative it's not research but but you know the the kids oh, said was... at the end that they felt so much more confident in the ela class because of the fluency yeah. work they were doing in that small group because they had they just could they knew it better
2: they felt so much more confident yeah and confidence is so much you know if if you believe in yourself you're gonna you're more likely to invest yourself and make sure that you accomplish whatever goals you have you know how many of us as adults even do things that we're not very good at we tend to avoid those And then you know kids don't have that confidence in themselves you know you know they they find ways of skipping it or getting out of having to do that reading assignment I'll just you know get the cliff notes version of it or whatever (laughs) do they still have cliff notes I don't know
0: I think so. <laughs> hey, actually, I think they're sparks now. Aren't they sparks, <laughs> spark notes? notes? Spark notes. I don't know. I haven't used them in a very long time.
1: <laughs> well, is there any new uh, research out there about fluency that we don't know about? <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, it's going on all the time. I'll mention a couple, though. The first was, uh, and and, uh, Sharon Vaughn has done some work in this, and she published maybe two or three years ago. She's not the first author, but she worked with uh, one of her, I think one of her students, and they published a review of research on uh, children identified as learning disabled LD kids, kids who struggle in reading. And Mm -hmm. their conclusion was looking at a number of studies across the board. Was that repeated reading and assisted reading? assisted readings, where you read something and you hear it read to you at the same time, uh, as well as some sort of combination, uh, actually produced results, the positive results in terms of comprehension and fluency among these kids that we worry about. We always knew that, but I mean, here it comes out. Another study came out looking at fluency with older kids. And again, the same sort of uh, results was that it does lead to improvements in comprehension and and uh, and, and fluency, as you as you would expect. Um, most recently, though, and I don't know if this is a study or not, but the National Assessment of Educational Progress, you know, that's the U.S. Department of Ed. They 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 do this you know nation's report card every four years, and they tell us we're not doing so well. Anyways, they took the 2018 data, and they had like 2,000. These are fourth graders. Uh, and, and they had him read a passage, you know, and then they measured on fluency. Now, the, the fluency was measured in three different ways. Uh, first was accuracy. And what they found was that accuracy was associated with achievement. Those students who were at the uh, highest level of silent reading comprehension achievement uh, were the best in terms of accuracy, the 100% accuracy in terms of word recognition. But as, as you went down, in terms of their reading achievement, so did accuracy. But it didn't go down hugely, it just it went down moderately. The huge differences were with automaticity, reading rate, speed. Those kids uh, who were, again, the highest in terms of reading comprehension, uh, fourth graders were the most automatic. I, I hate to say the fastest, they were the most automatic in their word recognition. But again, every time there was a drop in o- achievement, there was a continuing drop drop in terms of uh, in, in terms of automaticity as well. But then the third one was expression. One of the things they did was they brought in teachers or experts who listened to these students read and then they rated them on I believe it was a four point scale. Uh, and again, what they found was a, a, a quite significant difference in terms of expression. Uh, those students who were the highest achievers read with good expression, good phrasing. You know, and again, with every drop in achievement, there was a drop in uh, a drop in terms of uh, expression as well. So all three of those combined uh, accuracy, automaticity and prosody, uh, you know, were associated with reading achievement. And of course, the, you know, the outcome of that, the implication is that we need to be paying attention even with fourth graders. You know, <laughs> usually we say by fourth grade, well, we don't need to be worrying too much about word decoding. But we do, especially with our kids who struggle. But but even those other areas, automaticity and prosody, uh, there with you when you have a, 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 a nearly two thousand students that are participating in the study, you know the results are pretty reliable. So again, you know we're just verifying what what we intuitively know, what our previous research has done. But we need to continue to talk about this this sort of issue uh, and and validate it for ourselves. Uh, this is important. So studies are coming out. Um, Actually, if I could, if I could, I'll talk about a study I'm going to be engaging in this fall. Absolutely. Uh, Well, most people who know about fluency know about the fluency norms. Jan Hasbrook and Jerry Tindall Mm -hmm. created norms. They, They go from first grade through eighth grade. And you know, like you Melissa, what about ninth grade and tenth grade, eleventh grade and twelfth yeah. grade?
1: We've just um, yeah. looked at the eighth what grade. What happened? We don't have them. Right. Yeah. There.
2: We, we just looked but, at eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to say, well, what what is the optimal rate of fluency to be a really good reader? And who are the really who are really good readers? We're going to define them as college graduates. So what we're going to do is we're going to at Find college graduates. And of course, if you work in a school, you're surrounded by college graduates, your colleagues, <laughs> and ask them to read a passage for us, of maybe two couple passages or whatever. And you know, if we get, if we can get 200, 300 uh, uh, people reading for us, we get a pretty good idea of what that reading rate is for a college graduate. Now, my guess is probably, I don't know, 160, 180 words correct per minute, somewhere in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 consequence of that is not just what we know would be a ceiling. You know, the, once you get up to this level, you don't need to go beyond it. But it also provides us with a way of filling in the gaps. If we know what the eighth grade norm is and what we know what the you know college graduate norm is, we can you know we interpolate you know make okay. a pretty good guess of what should those in between levels should be. So hopefully uh, this. Might give us some indication for you guys you colleagues working in the secondary level of work, what we should be aiming for in terms of the, uh, those those norms so yeah that's, that's amazing that, <laughs> yeah that, that's my plan for the fall <laughs> yeah, we'll that's very exciting yeah. yeah i might be calling you guys up to read for me we can sure. read for you
0: we owe you, we owe you one so. okay okay <laughs> well i'll
2: count on it in fact if anybody's listening to this podcast if you're if you're interested come september or so drop me a line and uh, we can get on zoom I, I figure we can do most of this kind of research either in person or you know via zoom like we're yeah. doing right now yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah i'll uh, i'll put your everything in the show notes and and information and links and stuff. So I'll okay. be able to contact you. That'd be fun. We can recruit for you. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I feel like though, I mean, to, to just like stamp it and underscore this, like I have, I, I shared with you, I have um, a daughter and share a little story about her earlier, but she is just finishing third grade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I recently did uh, the foundations intervention placement assessment with her just to be like, hey, I need to just double check because make sure you're all good as you head head forward into fourth grade. No, like zero intervention. You know, she with flying colors passed that entire assessment, which would then have told me where she would have had deficits within any foundational skills. And then I listened to her read. And if it's not all As uh, it's usually fairly accurate, but the automaticity and the expression needs some work. And what the one thing that has shown marked improvement has been the small chunks of the grade level text about content that she's reading about in her core classes. Mm-hmm. And that has been, you know, such a confidence builder for her because then she's learning vocabulary and, and she's able to use the vocabulary and it's usually repeated vocabulary. And I know there's, you know, some morphology that comes into play in, in these pieces. Um, so I just wanted to like stamp that with just like a little personal story to be like, listen, you know, even th- that fourth grade, and fi- we know that like fourth grade on, they're supposed to be able to do this, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here saying my kid's a a quote good reader and if even if I were if I were not like a literacy person I would I would have no clue right and you know as so parents who are listening if you're a parent like listen to your kid read like list ask them to read aloud to you
2: (laughs) yeah no you're 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 right it's you know as as most parents would say as long as my kid is reading the words correctly and knows what most of them mean I'm happy and you should be of course but that's not enough You know, the goal of phonics instruction is to get students not to use it. Uh, And what I'd like to know, we should interview your daughter is uh, in third grade. uh, She she finished third grade?
0: Uh, Not yet. There's still a few more weeks, unfortunately, over here. But yeah, soon. (laughs)
2: How how much time was actually spent talking about those kinds of things, reading with expression, reading in chunks and phrases? Uh, Well, I mean, uh, I
0: can answer that because we've been on virtual all year.
2: Okay, I mean, not really
0: hard. but um not a lot not a lot so I've done a lot of that with her
2: yeah yeah but you it's interesting that you mentioned the phrasing that is a good indication of um of fluency you know um I, I forget who said this, but uh, a quote I use often is uh, the the natural unit of reading is not the word it's the phrase so the noun phrase, the verb phrase the prepositional phrase what does a yeah. word like if mean or or of of you know by themselves you know they're they're, they're limited so they've got to be part of a phrase.
1: For sure. Well, about 20
2: years ago, I met one of my old heroes. He's now passed away. Edward Fry, Dr. Ed Fry. He's the guy who came up with the sight words or he calls them instant words. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, Dr. Fry, or I guess that's what I called him back then. you know, It's <laughs> great. And teachers do a great job. What they do is they put these, your instant words, high frequency words on a word wall and the kids practice them and learn to say, how about if you teach them his phrases uh, in the water, by the car, uh, my mom and dad teach him that way, and he said that's a great idea. Uh, and so we actually went worked together, collaborated on on a program. Actually, on my website, I have a collection of all 600 of Ed Fry's high frequency words uh, written in the context of phrases. And uh, I, I know teachers who find this use them. Oftentimes, will get a hold of me and say, "You know, this is really cool because not only are you teaching the high frequency words to students, but you're teaching them as." as a chunk, as a phrase. Mm-hmm. So they're not doing, you know, um, uh, in my house, it's in my house. Yeah,
0: right? yeah.
2: We, the people. Uh, so they're actually <laughs> getting a twofer. They're learning the high frequency words. They're learning, developing that sense of phrasing that, you know, is 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 really so important for 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 all of us. Um, even when we speak, we don't speak in word by word. <laughs> in, yeah, or except our, you know, that robot speech. But <laughs> that's but so uh, funny
1: because I, I've given a lot of those one minute oral assessment, oral reading assessments this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when the students aren't for using, you know reading in those phrases. Like I have a hard time following even like oh, if yeah. it's the yeah. 20th time I've heard this passage and I'm like, wait, what? where yeah. are you?
2: <laughs> yeah. well, especially if, there's a, if it's a monotone also, because you know, it's just, uh,
1: yeah, I, can, I mean, can you imagine how they're feeling reading mm-hmm. it? If I'm having trouble following along and I've heard the passage
0: several times already. You
2: know, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a but, good point, Melissa. <laughs> yeah.
2: you know, you, reading is so much more complex, you know, than just reading the words. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's so much, a lot of subtlety to it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I want to uh, go back to what I mentioned a moment ago, but we didn't really touch on. Um, I mentioned morphology and I know that you have some, Little secrets you want to share? Uh, in regard, well, not secrets because you post them on Twitter all the time. But um, <laughs> can okay. you tell us about morphology as a way to build vocabulary? Because yeah. I just I love listening to you talk about this.
2: <laughs> well, as as I think I've mentioned in our earlier conversation, it went back to me in high school uh, taking a course in Latin for four years. And although I never got terribly good at it, what I what it what it actually did for me was it improved my English vocabulary. <laughs> um, you know, because what we know is that upwards of ninety percent of our multisyllabic words are longer words. Those words that your kids, Melissa, engage in, or ninety percent of those words are derived from Latin and Greek roots. Uh, yet, you know, for a long time, I really didn't. Although I knew there's something to this, I didn't really have the you know the the background and the expertise to do anything. It wasn't until I met a colleague of mine here at Kent State. His name's Rick Newton, uh, and his wife Evangeline. They're experts in in this. they're uh, Rick is the chair of the classics department at Kent State, and so we we just started collaborating on this. And the point I simply want to make is that you know it's a great way of building vocabulary, and, and the research has been getting to support it. Nell Duke in a in a in a, in a Edutopia. A uh, blog a couple of years ago, she said she identified three literacy practices that actually work. Number one is morphology. Now, first of all, I probably should define what morphology is. Uh, uh, it's it's basically they're, they're meaningful parts within words. You know, uh, we often talk about word families like a c k and i n g. You know, if you know if you know those, you can figure out words like back tack sack, sing sting swing and so on. Well, this is even better because if you know some of these morphemes like bi uh as a uses prefix not only does it can it help you with the, the pronunciation but it can more importantly help you with the meaning it may, refers to two so words like biplane bifocals biannual biceps bicuspids and so on and so forth so you're teaching one morpheme one root you can learn 10 20 30 in some cases over 100 english words uh, uh mm-hmm. there um and then the other, so what I've been doing for the past year since the pandemic has been going on is I do something on Monday. I call it Morphology Monday. I try to identify a route that is seasonal. Uh, and we do, I create a little resource for teachers that can download. It's usually you can find it on Twitter. So, for example, last week was Memorial Day. The route was M E M, mem, which means mindful. Of course, you see that in words like uh, uh, Memorial Day, but words like memory, um, uh, uh, momento, uh, memorandum memo, you know, many words are, are of that around earth day. I, I put up terra T E R R A, which is Latin for earth. And we have words like subterranean, extraterrestrial, Mediterranean, terrace, terrain, territory, uh, well terrarium and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So it's, you know, the idea is simply that, uh, you know you, you teach one root, you can learn a lot of words there. And, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the research is 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 out there. There's a study, not only not Nell Duke endorsement, which is always good, but uh, <laughs> there was a review study in the review of uh, educational research a few years ago. And they found that this is this approach to teaching vocabulary, is very productive for building vocabulary comprehension, but not just for, we often think of this as for older kids, Mm -hmm. even elementary kids benefit from this, even, um, and even especially kids who struggle again, uh, we're tapping into what I think is this natural, into the natural proclivity, I don't know if this is the right word or not, proclivity we have to see patterns. We have, you know, this needs to be something that is uh, innate to human beings to see patterns in their environment. And what we're doing is just allowing, you know, tapping, helping kids see those patterns, well yeah. beyond just the word families, but the morphemes as well.
0: And they get excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I think they, I know at least like reading different things with my daughter, like she learned uh, phytoplankton in the beginning of the year and, and learned in in context of a text. And then she right. saw another word with that same uh, phyto. Beginning, I don't remember what word it was, yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, and she was so excited. She's like, "Oh, like you know," and and I, she made a great guess of what the word might be based on that. And but right. kids get excited because it's something that's familiar, and they they exactly. they they feel proud that they can do big things or read big words. Them,
2: it gives them a strategy. Yeah, my my colleague uh, in Virginia, uh, Hillary Loftus, and so. We already (laughs) chatted. You're unrelated to her, but she does that. She's she's a middle school reading specialist, and she uses the word "toehold." She says it gives kids a toehold onto words they might not normally know. Just like your daughter, there. Yeah. If you know that a word starts with "bi" as a prefix, think uh, It at least gives you get you started, and combine that with the context, you probably figure out the word. We know that democracy, government of the people, right? Dem D E M means people. Okay. Now, let's let's switch that over to the word pandemic. Okay, (laughs) pan means all or everything. Dem means people. Well, we're we're seeing that happen right (laughs) now. Pandemic, all the people or a good number of them are are going to get sick. And we're all of us at risk for being sick there. And then, of course, that turns into demographics, the study of people and on and on and on and on. on. But yeah, yeah, it's been estimated that upwards of 90 percent of our academic vocabulary is drawn from Latin and Greek roots. So you know if you want you, if you want to not only improve reading but also improve social studies science mathematics, this is a great way of doing it. Uh, so the kids be, can tap into some of those, you know those uh, uh, um, hard, more challenging words that they encounter in those academic words. If you know that poly means many, then polygon many angles uh, right. and so on and so forth. I get started on this and <laughs> I'm, stop.
0: I'm, I'm wondering if you have, do, have you have any, I don't know, studies or um, information around teaching morphology in context? Does that matter? I, I always felt yeah. like personally, when I learned it in context, I could Remember it better,
2: right? Exactly, <laughs> which I
0: think makes a lot of sense. But I just want to hear you talk about it.
2: <laughs> no, I, I think, and, and that's why when I've been doing this Morphology Monday, I've been trying to create the context. The context is the time of year. Yeah. So, birthday, let's work on Terra. Uh, Memorial Day, Mem, and 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 so on and so forth. But you're you're right. I think that's the way to do it. Um, you're reading something in context. You come across a word. Of course, it's, you could do a little um, you know, teachable moment on that, but let's expand that teachable moment and help kids see all these other words that are derived from that. Uh, but yeah, teaching them only in isolation, uh, is, um, is not as productive as, as bringing into authentic reading with our kids.
1: Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I just, I just want to like put a stamp on what you said of like, this is for our youngest kids, even, you know, our, k12 and mm-hmm. even i mean i was looking at nell duke's article and it's for specifically early elementary learners mm-hmm. yeah uh, just because i often hear like well we'll get to that after they master the phonics and decoding right like fourth we'll, grade we'll, fifth yeah, grade like, this is first yeah. then we'll get there
2: <laughs> yeah I, I have a colleague that uh, is in the deck of the woods i yeah, one in the dc suburbs in virginia fairfax county i think her name is joanne newton and she she's a i think she's a reading specialist now but she works with primary grade uh teachers and they bring this in uh in their primary grades and it's pretty amazing you know they they use a lot of the prefixes you know, all the words that have sub in them all yep. the words that have um, you know pr um pri meaning before and so on and so forth but and they focus on one per week and the kids not only are seeing the words in isolation, but they're also reading passages that contain those. I, I've got an interesting study, if I, if you, not study, but a little stu- story I'd like to share with you. Yeah. Um, it actually combines fluency. Uh, usually around uh, November, late October, I work with kids and we uh, anticipate Veterans Day. So what we do is we teach kids the uh, songs of the military services and either bring in some veterans or we go to the local VFW hall and do a little salute to veterans. Well, it turns out, let's see, we, we are also working on the, the numerical prefixes. U and I means one, bi means two, tri means three, and so on. Well, it turns out, and we, we tell kids, when you ever see these in your reading, point them out to us. So we it just happened to we were singing the, the Marine song, From the Halls of Montezuma to the Shores of Tripoli. And the kids had the text in front of them. Well, this was a second or third grader. Raised his hand, Mr. Rosensky. There's a tri in Tripoli. What's it have to do with three?
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. As,
2: as, you know, it's just a city in Libya. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I I should have taken it up on his question. I just kind of dismissed him because he might, he went home, talked to his parents, and he said, "Well, let's let's explore this." And they did. Tripoli, Libya, is actually made up of two roots: tri and p o l i. Uh, more commonly, it's P O L I S, Polis, which means city, like Indianapolis, Minna- Minneapolis, Metropolis, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Annapolis. Uh, yeah. So, um,
1: I hadn't even made that connection. Yeah.
2: <laughs> city of Ann. But so, Tripoli was is, was at originally three three towns that combined to make one city called Tripoli. Oh, so you so know the kid comes back and he yells at me. He's like, no, wrong. It does have something to do with cookies. Uh, that's you know, that's what we were saying. How it, it becomes a vehicle, a strategy that the kids can use. And it doesn't work all the time, but gosh, it works enough times that it mm-hmm. makes it makes it uh, certainly worthwhile.
0: Well, and that that little guy was so curious. Like that's what I think yeah. it prompts the curiosity and it helps him to, it helps to forge the curiosity. You know, exactly. to, to transfer the knowledge from one to another.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's um, like you're
0: like cracking the code somehow, right? Like, <laughs> right,
2: right. And it's not just the sound code, it's the meaning code.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's when,
2: so fun. When we know that so many of our words in English are derived from Latin and Greek, it just makes sense to at least spend a few minutes every day devoted to that.
0: Yeah, so so far we've booked teachers for about 20 minutes a day between fluency and
2: morphology. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a good
0: thing. It's a good thing. That's a
2: great thing. I I, I wouldn't object to it. Yeah. I so don't we think you have to put a lot of time into fluency, 20 20 minutes per day. Um, maybe 5 to 10 minutes on the morphology. Uh so it, it can take a you know, most of our time should be devoted to real reading, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, certainly time devoted to this but again, the thing here's the thing with the morphology. Most teachers, including myself, until I start working with my colleague, we don't have the background in this. We need to educate ourselves and develop our our uh, knowledge of this so that we can actually begin to apply it in our classrooms. We don't have to be PhDs in morphology, but we do need to understand, you know, just you know the connection be- between morphemes and uh, and English uh, w- vocabulary. Mm-hmm.
0: I think you did a great job w- with a little intro session for any teachers or, or leaders listening. Like it, you hit the point home with some solid examples. I think
2: <laughs> examples always work, don't they? Yeah. 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 So oh, are so we so running time here?
0: I know. I, can, do I know. you have a moment to talk about the thing that I don't want to put you over, but um, to talk about what you're working on now, or do you, are you running to another meeting?
2: No, I'm not running to an, another meeting. Well, I'll you what I'm going to do this fall. Um, so, you know, I, I, I kind of switched between teaching, research, and de- uh, curriculum material development. Actually, one of the things I'm working on right now is with a poet. Uh, David Harrison is a highly regarded poet. He's won awards all over the countries from Missouri. Somehow we, we, hit, we met and, and, and hit it off together. We're working along with Mary Jo Fresh from Ohio State, another colleague. We're creating a program um it's it's actually not a program itself it's more just a a supplemental material but it's called partner poems uh so what David is doing is he's writing poetry uh, and they're built around word families so this is kind of a phonics thing um and they're they're meant to be read by two or three people so it's a great way of getting kids to collaborate with one another or Mm -hmm. a teacher working individually with a child then Mary Jo is writing some instructional material that goes with it. And what I'm doing is I'm doing the word ladders. We haven't had a chance to talk about the word ladders. Oh, I and know. I, to, I, a, I was hoping you'd bring them up. I'm, <laughs> I'm writing, I'm, I'm developing two word ladders uh, uh, there. Now, I, I'm sure that many of the people listening to this probably know about word ladders, but if I can give you a one minute thing a word ladder, mm, I got, and too. first of all, I need to give a shout out to uh, Isabel Beck and mm. Pat Cunningham because they've been doing this for years. Um. And what I did was, I do what all good teachers do. You take somebody else's idea and, and, and you run with it, you tweak it. <laughs> a word ladder is simply a little activity where kids go create uh, a series of words, one word after the next. Each word is, requires a one or two letter change in the previous word. So, for example, if I said, let's start with the word hot, okay, change one letter in hot to make a word that is something you wear on your head, your hat. You <laughs> change a letter in hat to make a um, uh, an animal that purrs cat and so on. So you see how it's done there. Now, the little tweak that I did is when I created these word letters, the first word and the last word go together in some way. So it's, it's a bit of a game. Okay. So like dog to cat, um, dark to light and things like that. Uh, there so it's, it's a little game, but actually, if you take a close look at it, in fact, Isabel Beck, Beck published a, a study of this in with her colleagues in uh, scientific studies and reading, found that first graders, the, the struggling first graders who did this on a regular basis, and it's a little five-minute activity, 10-minute activity, dim, demonstrated significantly greater uh, improvement uh, in phonemic awareness, spelling, phonics, and comprehension, even comprehension improvement. When compared with students who were in an alternative intervention isn't amazing yeah uh, but if you think about it what kids are doing is when you're doing this uh one word after next you're happy okay you have to first of all you got to think of the clue so that's vocabulary you got to think of uh, okay where does the sound change when i go from hat to cat uh and then what letter represents that you're what you're doing is what some people have called um orthographic mapping you really have to dig into the word itself. It's not just simply, you know, looking at the word and memorizing it. You're actually analyzing the word, but you're doing it in a fun, engaging way. Uh, I've heard from so many teachers around the country who, who have used this on a regular basis. And again, it's more an observational comment than actual research. But um, with so many are, are, are saying how much kids enjoy doing it, uh, but also seeing the improvement in spelling and, and vocabulary and, uh, and word recognition. I, I often point out to teachers about uh, games, you know, yep. think of all the games that we play as adults, you know, and how many of the games are word games, Scrabble, Boggle, All bobble, of them, I think. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love
0: word games. <laughs> well, if you like to
2: play word games, I mean, word even play. like
0: crazy adult, like naughty adult games, if you will, are <laughs> grounded in, yeah. you know, what, like, I mean, um, what's Cards Against Cards Humanity, Funny yeah. <laughs> Ones, you know, there are, sure. there are they're all grounded in wordplay. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> and the point is, if we like to do that, why wouldn't kids? Yeah. And, and yet what often happens in school is the, the games are only for reserve when the, when the work's done. I think we should try to create a, a curriculum, a word study curriculum, where it, it has a game-like feel to it. And certainly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, something like this, people have actually compared these word letters to uh, crossword puzzles for kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they have those same, many of the similar features uh, of that for kids. So they're a lot of fun and and even if kids did nothing else and they have fun, it'd be worth it. But here's the thing. Uh, do you ever notice that, do you guys play uh, Words with Friends? Yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> I've been off of it for a while, but it's Scrabble it's on your phone. Yeah. If, if you play it regularly, uh, one of the things that Words with Friends does is it, it tracks your score. And I've done this with several people who are kind of do it all the time. Their score goes up all the time. You know, and and you'd you'd expect it, but uh, I have to say we have a special name for it when your score goes up. It's called learning, right? When you get better at something, <laughs> why not do this in, in school? You know, you do it on a regular basis. Kids are gonna get better at it and that's learning, you know. That's so true. The kind of learning I want kids to have, you know, that it's engaging and fun and, and productive all at the same time. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's what I call the art of teaching, you know, that's the challenge. Yes. Yeah. Not just the science, but the
1: art. Well, before we leave, (laughs) because we're running out of time unfortunately. Um, is there anything else that you want to tell us about fluency or anything else that we just haven't mentioned today? Or this could be your piece of advice that you leave for our audience? Well,
2: just just that it's important. I I hope that you know I made a you know got you interested if you're not interested in fluency. And now would be a good time, you know, I, I don't know when you guys are gonna actually post this, but I I hope hopefully, hopefully early in the next week or so, uh, but we're going into the summer months. This would be a great time for uh, teachers uh, to uh, to engage in some learning, learn more about morphology, learn while, while reading fluency. Uh, and uh, if I can plug myself, I have a website. Please do timrasinski.com you're uh, there uh, if you look under resources um, i have a lot of the articles that i've written i've just haven't posted there so they can be downloaded for free uh, and um, so that's an easy way of getting material that's not going to cost you anything and the articles are relatively short uh, if i have one talent i i seem to be able to write in a relatively easy <laughs> understandable way uh, there so that would be one thing you know use the summer to learn and also to be creative. Uh, You know, if we talk about developing fluency, and if, you know, if anybody out there says, yeah, I'd like to try this thing where we do a weekly reader's theater script, or we do a reader's uh, uh, weekly poetry slam, well, then start collecting poetry this summer, right? And start perhaps writing your own, put them all together so that you might have once a week, or once every two weeks, you could have something where your students would Take a poem and rehearse it. You know, the, you, you can't do this if on a Sunday night you say, "Oh, I'm, every one of my kids is going to have a poem tomorrow <laughs> to, to rehearse." Yeah, you know, that's that's a little bit too late. Or think about writing scripts uh, for readers theater. I love writing readers theater scripts. One of the easiest things to do is to take a story, you know, and recast it as a script. So when students may perhaps read. Uh, uh, a story. One of my favorite examples is the Paper Bag Princess by Robert Munch. We actually had students do this one. They read the story, but then when they read the story, they it, uh, turned it into a script. They added they added dialogue and uh, narration to the script, and then they rehearsed it. I would argue that when you do things like that, uh, you're engaging in an activity that's very authentic. You know, there's writers in Hollywood that make a lot more money than us. For <laughs> Um, but also you have to understand the original text. If I'm taking, if I'm taking, um, you know, uh, the introduction to Hatchet by, oh gosh, who just wrote that? I forgot. Uh, Gary uh, Gary Paulson. Paulson. Yeah. Uh, that, that part where the plane crashes. If I turn that into a script, I have to have a deep understanding of that, the original story to begin with. Mm-hmm. Or if I had to write my own version of a poem that's based upon, or write a poem that's a reflection of uh, a story I've read, again, it requires yep. deep understanding. It's not, it's more than just, you know, fluency, more than just writing. Yeah. As involved there. So use the time in the summer to do some of that stuff. I'm uh, thinking
0: of so many examples and like connecting to it. And just because and Wisdom is, is like my bag, but mm-hmm. um, like in fourth grade, kids do read, that text um, by Gary Paulson. And so I'm thinking like, wow, that would be a great extension activity. Like I can just see them pouring over that and, or the teacher creating that, or um, seventh grade students write a poem about identity after they read a poem about identity. And what a great way to help them in the very beginning of the year, you know, get get into, I mean, an identity is a concept that takes them all throughout the year. So not only is it helping them to stamp the, the, um, the poem that they just wrote and get that fluency, but also to really understand this concept, this very vague concept of identity that they're going to solidify throughout the year. So I, a, you're just making me think a lot about like how to attach it to what they're already doing or, you know, yeah. if they don't have materials that are... Mm -hmm. of quality then they're going to pull things in to to do just that like connect it like you just shared and I think it's just so meaningful for whoever's listening whatever space they're in whether they have you know great materials or um, maybe are heading and hoping to get great materials or just have your website right they have access to stuff that's good
2: stuff and and also if you if you like you can throw my email address into the program notes Um, I do have that the, the script by Gary Paulson uh, based Ooh. upon yeah so if anybody wants it <laughs> me I've got that's so the, cool I've got Sojourner truth speech ain't I a woman I wrote this with some kids mm-hmm. uh, as a script and of course that's perfect for women's History Month or African American history Month um, I've got um, I, I did a lot with speeches where I would we the, the Gettysburg Address yeah turn that into a little script and, and the scripts don't have to be terribly long they're usually just two or three pages. But what you're doing is you're learning essential content and uh, developing all these other cross curricular uh, s- uh, skills as well, competencies as well.
0: Yeah. So, me- Melissa, remind me: is it the when people go on? We just Melissa and I just realized this. Where can you not click on the links? Is it in the app or is it in on the website?
1: It's on the Apple
0: website on a computer. <laughs> you can't click on links on the app. On the app, you can't right. On the app, you can yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, if you're listening and you're using <laughs> Apple on your computer, consider, go to the app on your go to the app <laughs> to get the, and you'll the get links. all the links. We well, we, we, we just discovered this. I
2: just give it to you.
0: <laughs> I know. No. I mean, we'll, we'll hyperlink them in, but it's just so interesting because Melissa was like. I I thought we were hyperlinking everything in, but it's on my phone, but it's not on my computer. And so then I was thinking, well, gosh, we should say something on the podcast because if people are trying to get, we're, we look like we're lying, but we really are linking
2: (laughs) it. Can I do this real quickly then? My email address is T as in Timothy. And then my last name Rosinski without the I. Okay. T R A S I N S K at Kent.edu Kent state. Uh, my Twitter is at timrozinski1. Okay, that's easy enough. And then the, the website is timrozinski.com. So there you go.
0: Perfect. <laughs> so now, if we're linked or not, you've got it. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was it was such a treat getting to talk to you and thank Absolutely. you for all of the work that you continue to it's do. It's been
2: delightful. Thanks uh, for for inviting me, Lori and Melissa. It's been a, it's really been fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Look forward to it. Sounds good. Bye.